as we prepare to hear God's word, let us pray. O Lord, our God, bless us in your service and make us strong in our family life, especially with the gift of children, which you graciously bestow upon us. Strengthen us that we might serve you acceptably, that we might do you well here upon the earth. Grant us by your spirit that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O God, for the sake of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So today's passage is really a lens because we're going to be dealing with a topical idea, the topical concept of discipline of our children. Let us hear God's word from Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you have left without, excuse me, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we are thankful for God's word that reminds us that we are treated as his sons when he disciplines us. I want us to remember that this is a two-part series, although broken up in the middle by um, our brother coming and, and preaching last week. So I just want to give you a brief overview of some of the high points from the first sermon, as this one is kind of building off of that. So I think I spoke startlingly um, that first week by saying that children are deadly. If you love children, they are a threat to your happiness. Children cause us to die to our selfishness. And truthfully, thank God for that. Children are a gift from God. We see that in Psalm 127. Children are corrupted by sin, Psalm 51. Children are created in the image of God. We see that in Genesis 1. And we are the people of God. And being that, it changes us because we receive a new heart and spirit. We see that in Ezekiel chapter 11. With all this in mind, we are to train our children to reflect God's character. And this begins with the fear of the Lord. Our children should be taught to have gratitude and thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5. The last time we were together, we spent time discussing what our responsibility as parents and covenant members, excuse me, how we as parents 
our covenant members and over our children, but also they are our brothers and sisters in God. And we are actually called in parenting to disciple them. We need to consider how discipline is done according to the scriptures. What does it mean in practice to bring up our children in the training and admonition of the Lord? Now, contrary to what most people say, and that's, I would say, even unfortunately in the church, right? Parenting, the goal of it, is not simply to make sure your kids can read and write, somehow get into a good college, get a good career, and then get out there and make money. By the way, that's a very Marxist way of thinking. It's not scriptural. right? Our call as parents is to train them up to be worshipers of the Almighty in all areas of their life, that all areas of their life are subject to glorifying God and understanding God in what we're doing. Now, many of us weren't brought up this way, and so this is why it's going to feel like here at first I'm really going to hammer on some things. But that's because we need, as, it says, as our passage said today out of Romans chapter 12, we need a new mind, we need a new way of thinking. right? And even if God has blessed you and you are a second or third generation in faithfulness to these things, Sinfulness creeps in, and you need a new mind put in by God. So parenting is hard, right? I'm just trying to be honest here. It's even overwhelming. We worry that we might mess our children up. Let me assure you, you already have. Just take that off. Your children have learned to sin from you. I guarantee you that the sin that you most confess to God, your children are are practitioners of that sin. Can we be honest? Yes? Okay. But praise be to God, we are truly, that's you and I, the parents, sinners saved by grace. So kids, listen up. Are you listening to me? Young people, children, the teenagers, you kind of, you know, you college age kids, listen. Your parents are sinners saved by grace, right? In an ideal world, they're living a penitent life all the time, and they're repenting of their sin when they sin against you, and they're still disciplining you in God's truth at all times. Now, the fact of the matter is they're not perfect. They need to confess their sins. They're going to sin against you. They already have. They were sinning against you when you were babies. You just didn't know it. Have forgiveness. God's word says honor them. Give them the respect of the position that God has placed them in your lives. But I want us to understand that it's God's work in our lives. And by the way, parents, your children will not be delivered from their sin by your works. You hear me? You can't have a checklist and say, I did all these things, and so now God is obligated to have my children serve Him. And that doesn't mean that we, there aren't things that God says, this is the pattern of parenting. This is the pattern of discipline. Yes, those are true. But parents, you must, for yourself and for your children, 
be penitent before God, repent of your sins, and demonstrate to them this penitence, this repentance, this life of confession of sin before God and belief and trust in Him and His saving power. The way that we live and speak must always point our children to God and point out their sin and that the only way to deliverance from their sin is Christ alone. As we then live in obedience to what God's Word tells us, we can truly believe God's promise to be the God to us and our children and to all those who are afar off. When we fail, which we will, repent, be restored to God and to your family. So a lot of times we look at our children and we see the challenges that we have with them and we misunderstand what the primary obstacle to disciplining our children is. Why do these kids keep acting badly? Why are they not listening? Parents, fathers, mothers, listen up. The primary obstacle to parenting is not your children, but it is you. And as a parent, that means it's me. So why do we parent? God blesses us with children, and ready or not, you are parenting. You will either parent well, or you will parent poorly. But you will parent. God has called you to train up your children in the training and admonition of the Lord. Some translations use the word nurture instead of training or discipline. But in today's vernacular, that's not a helpful term. When we hear the word nurture, we think of soft, cuddly, warm, like just soothing. I know you're a sinner, but, you know, I don't know what that even brings us to, but, but death. <laughs> this word here is actually the word padeia in the Greek. And padeia is a very, has a very robust meaning. It's the whole training and education of the children which relates to the cultivation of minds, morals, and employs this for the purpose. Now through commands and admonitions. It's reproof. It's punishment. It also includes training and care of the body. This means we are to train and discipline our children in the Lord in all areas of their lives. And I want to I be clear on this. This is, of course, reading, teaching them how to read, write, do their math, get their lessons in and that, understanding history, the world, science, all those things. But, but parents, don't fall into the trap of thinking that your child's primary job is getting their education. That's an idolatry. Their primary job is to be servants of God, certainly in their schoolwork, but if you're not teaching them how to work hard, how to sweat, how to, to serve others, and to do things when it's hard, you are not training them up for life. You're not training them up in the Lord. Young people, young men, look up here. Your dad should give you work so that you are physically wore out. You're to have chores, right? Because... If, if you don't train your children to do chores, to clean up, and how cleaning up things glorifies God and serves the others that they live with, right? 
They're going to grow up to be slothful. When they get challenged in things in their work, in their education, and whatever they're doing, they're, they're not going to have the, the courage to face up and deal with the challenges before them. Young ladies, young women out there, girls out there, are you listening? God has called you to work hard as well in caring for your home and caring for others. You're to have chores. You, you, should, you, should, you should want to desire to work hard in caring for the people around you and preparing yourself for the glorious task of being the discipler of children. And there, of course, are many other areas that, that young women can serve in and do things, but, but the point is they need to learn how to work. Now, fathers are called to provide. Our wives are gifted by God to take what is given to them and to make it fruitful and glorious. We certainly get this in the way that God has designed the development of the baby in the womb, right? Man, you contribute just a little bit, and God blesses it, and out comes a glorious new life that is far more than it started. But this principle is true in every area of life. You fathers are called to give your wives what they need in building up themselves, their children, and your community. You might be saying, what does my provision to my wife and children have to do with parenting? Let's talk about that. Now, you know, we, we kind of mostly know that we're to provide for our family's physical needs and security. We see in 1 Timothy 5.8, anyone who does not provide for his own, and especially those of his own household, has denied the faith, faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I think most of you in this room probably know that you're supposed to make sure that there's food and shelter and maybe a little security uh, for your family. But you know, this is usually, men, are you listening up? The easiest area to provide what our wives and children need. We go out, we work hard, and we appreciate that others recognize us and give us praise for our work and ordinarily compensation. We thrive in our jobs, even under hard or challenging circumstances. But God calls you to bring more to your wife and family besides food, shelter, and physical security. We know that as it says in Proverbs chapter 18, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from Yahweh. What is this favor that God has given us? Are our wives simply a gift for our consumption? To what end has God given us favor? Are our wives simply for our pleasure and leisure, cooking, cleaning, laundry, sex, and entertainment? I hope everyone in this room sees the foolishness of this, and yet, if we're honest, so many marriages begin in this fashion and continue in this way for many years. We're to remember, men, in 1 Peter 3, where husband and wives are heirs together in the grace of life. If, if you're not sure, if you want to work this out more, go back and listen to the sermon that, that I preached on marriage, just as a point of reference. Or ask some of the older men in this, in this congregation for guidance. As we've spoken of before, your marriage is an ongoing sermon of the gospel of Jesus Christ to your children. 
when you, when you find inconsistencies and sin in your children, we must make sure that the sermons of our lives are full of God's law. And we have to look at, if we find inconsistencies and sin in our children, we need to be looking at ourselves. Are we looking at God's law towards ourselves? Are we providing God's truth and justice? And are we also providing His grace, repentance, and restoration? Justice and grace should be first in our marriages, and then it can be rightly administered to our children. So men, consider this. Hear Proverbs chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also furnished her table. She has sent out her maidens. She cries out from the highest places of the city. Whoever is simple, let him turn here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake foolishness and live and go the way of understanding. Lady Wisdom here is your wife. The simple ones are your children. You are to give her, your wife, the firm stones which she will labor to make the pillars of culture in your household. What are these stones? It's the Word of God lived and taught in your home. I'm going to say that again. It is the Word of God lived and taught in your home. It can't simply be one or the other. It is decisions and leadership that has God in obeying His Word as first in your life. You are to be like Christ in that you lay down your life and you are to lay aside your wants and needs for the eternal lives that God has given you. We see in this passage that Lady Wisdom has meat, wine, and a table that is furnished for a feast to the simple ones. Your children are the simple ones. This, of course, is not just food at a joyful table, but is feasting on the Word of God, His grace, His joy, gratitude, and assurance to God's providence in your household. Does your wife have what she needs from you in her calling to bring up your children in the training and admonition of the Lord? I mean... Does your wife have what she needs from you in the Word of God, in your presence, and in the items and training that she needs to build Christian culture in your household? Fathers, if you do not honor your wife with your words, your actions, or your provision, your children will know it. And if you're not doing it, they already know it. And in turn, they will not honor their mother. Now, moms, I'm not ignoring your need for consistency in the faith. When you're not respectful in word or attitude towards your husband, you too are undermining your ability to discipline. Mothers, you can tear down what God has provided for you. Proverbs 14.1 tells us this, The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. So you need to be diligent. You need to be studying God's Word. You need to be faithful. 
because otherwise you are tearing down what God has given you. Proverbs 19.13 tells us this, A foolish son is the ruin of his mother. And I bet there's many mothers who have worried about that passage. But what is the second half of that verse? And the contentions of a wife are continual dripping. I would encourage you that these two are not isolated concepts. We need to understand that one of God's primary means of grace are other people. We need the church and all the people that God has providentially placed in our church around us. Do you hear me? Look to your left and right, everybody. Look, look around. I'm serious. Take a minute. Look around. These people, every one of them, with all the great things that there are about them, to the very worst thing about them, God has providentially placed them in your life, and they're here for you, and you're here for them. Fathers and mothers, when you are having difficulty, you are not to circle your wagons and isolate you and your family. Proverbs 18.1 tells us this, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in, in expressing his own heart. Why do we isolate ourselves? It's our pride. We don't want to think that we need help. I don't care who you are. I don't care how old you are. You better have friends and people in your life who are there to love you, pray for you, call you out when you sin, with love for the purpose of restoration. Do not isolate yourself. Otherwise, you are raging against all wise judgment. You know, we sang Psalm 2 today, right? right? Why do the heathen nations rage? This is the very same word. Why are we raging against all wise judgment? Don't isolate yourself. The scriptures are full of admonishment for us to be in relationship with one another. We are to be in church, certainly for the Lord's Day worship, but also so that we can encourage and admonish one another. Romans 15 and Titus 2 both point out how important this is, and that we are to um, look for wise teaching from those that are older and more experienced in our lives. We must learn not only from sermons at our churches and the word at home, but an actual relationship with others whom God has given wisdom by having gone through it, but also from our peers who are currently going through it. Now here I'm going to hit something pretty hard. You know, it's okay to go do some research, look for ideas, but podcasts, books, and impersonal apps, they can be helpful, but they are not the same as a brother or sister, the gray heads in your church, or the elders of the church speaking and challenging you in your very specific circumstances. Now for most, we're comfortable when we're the ones giving the biblical advice. But being real here, the true challenge is being the recipient of our Christian brothers and sisters' observations and admonishments. To be sure, these, these admonishments 
and observation should always be shared with humility. We see this in Galatians 6 where it says that a man, if a man is overtaken by any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. So even though you might be good in an area and it's working out okay for you, when you dispense the biblical truth to your friends, to the people in this community, to your brothers and sisters in the Lord, do it in humility because it is God who has revealed these truths to you. It is God who has given you the new heart and mind. It is God who has enabled you and forgiven you so that you're able to do these things. It is not of yourself. We need to remember that we too are sinners saved by grace. But if we see the sins in others, we should pray and speak to them about that sin. To the hearer, be humble and prayerfully receive the rebuke. And ask God, as it says in Psalm 139, to search your heart and expose your sin, that we may repent and change our ways. I would also ask you and encourage you, to go back and thank your brother or sister. Show gratitude towards our loving Heavenly Father's agents of grace in your life. Men, we're particularly bad at this. I, I find women oftentimes when something happens that, that, you know, they're a little bit more communicative, right? They're going to say things. But men, we take it and we rarely ever thank God or thank the person God has sent to help draw us to faithfulness. We should both seek help and receive help uh, when we need this help. But we should also guard against our marriages and children from becoming sanctified means of gossip. What I mean is, when you go to seek for help, men, women, don't ask for advice from all 30 women in the church. We tend to do that. Oh, we should pray for so-and-so because this is going on. Or we can gossip about our husbands, our wives, and our children in this way. Don't turn it into some sort of sanctified gossip. My, my general advice to you in this is seek two and certainly no more than three counselor, counselors as the normative way to get help. When parents begin to discipline, they must remember their child's frame. Psalm 103 sets the foundations for discipline. Beginning in verse 8 of Psalm 103, it says this, Yahweh is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. Why is, why is He slow to anger and abounding in mercy? Because He loves us. He doesn't want to crush us. He wants to discipline us so that we come to repentance. So, parents, are you slow to anger? Are you abounding in mercy? It says this, God, it goes on, and God will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. Don't hold on to anger towards your kids. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. God brings correction for restoration and doesn't give us what we actually deserve. If part of your disciplinary process is to come after your child and say, you're going to get what you deserve, you are not acting as God acts. 
Later on in Psalm 103, in verse 13, it says this, As a father pities his children, so Yahweh pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God knows where we are in understanding and maturity when he treats us, when he considers how he will discipline us. The purpose of his discipline is to chastise us to repentance and restoration to himself and our neighbors. And these actions bring his righteousness to the generational level. We see in verse 17, But the mercy of Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Later on in Psalm 103 and verse 21, it says, Bless Yahweh, all you hosts, all you his hosts, you ministers of his word who do his pleasure. Bless Yahweh, all his works and all places of his dominion. Bless Yahweh, all my soul. So after God goes through how he knows our frame, how he is striving to teach us, how he disciplines so we can learn it, all of this is to what end? Right? So that we are his ministers who do his pleasure and that we bless him. And we do this in his dominion over all the earth. We must remember that all children are sinners and they need proper discipline and admonishment lest they needlessly suffer and perish. It takes wisdom to see where your children are at different ages and maturity levels. It's going to be changing. Here's something else. Parents who have more than one child. Not all your children will develop mentally, emotionally, physically, or, or academically precisely the same. What works for one child isn't the same as another. You might be stymied. I don't know, man, when this one was at this age, they had it all figured out. Why didn't this one? Well... God doesn't bring everyone up precisely the same. We all have varying gifts in this church and in our households. Now, our children, they will sin both willfully and accidentally. When we sin accidentally, this is ignorance. But we must address both willful and accidental sin. Willful sin is simply disobedience, and it needs measured physical chastisement. If not, our children will believe that God's word is not true or consistent. They will believe that living unrepentantly is okay, and they will fail to realize they are bound for eternal punishment. This is really an important point. If your children are going to equate your word as to the fa- uh, you know, your word as a father to your heavenly father, and they do, and your wife as delegated authority from God as well, you've got to know that you have to be consistent. You must deal with sin. Now we must guard ourselves from having too many rules. God doesn't have too many rules for you. He has just ten. Now God explains His ten words or commandments fully to us, but... All of this can be summarized in just two commandments. Love God completely in all areas and love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew 22. Are your household rules easily summed up? We do not want to provoke our children to bitterness, wrath, and discouragement. If this is a challenge for you right now, 
I would say take those two commandments, think about the rules in your household, and say, can I categorize these rules into one of these two categories? And if they don't fit neat and tidy in there, cut out those rules. You're, you're just having a thousand things to cut at them. Ephesians 6.4 tells us this, And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. We also see in Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. You know, I, I'm just trying to tell you, keep it simple. Remember when God put Adam in the garden, he said, look, eat of everything in here, save one thing. Now, we can certainly put categories together, what it means to love your neighbor when you're sharing a room or living in a household and those kinds of things. And that's really what you want to be pointing to anyway, right? Not that mom or dad has a thousand rules, but how do these rules fit into God's word, right? So the sin isn't about breaking mom and dad's rules. It's about breaking God's law. So in keeping with this, we must do what the Word says. We struggle to believe God's Word enough to do what it says. The unbelieving world has many teachings that have infiltrated the church, and they sound good to us about how to discipline our children. Unfortunately, this, these concepts, these words are what itching ears want to hear. But if we believe that Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me, then we recognize our kids have a sin problem. I mentioned this before, but Rousseau's had ideas that have been popularized in many books. And that is that he believed in his, our cultural norm today that man is naturally good, but ruined by society. This, of course, is backwards. Men are sinners, and their sin ruins society. Certainly, sins of the parents have direct impact on their children. We see that in Deuteronomy 6. But folly is contrasted to the wisdom of God. And the folly is bound up in the heart of our children. We see that in Proverbs 22. If sinfulness is bound up in the hearts of our children, what is the way of wisdom and understanding? We know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But human wrath and anger are not the cause of this fear. Discipline is a kindness to bring us to repentance. The biblical pattern of discipline is this. It's a five-step thing. I'm going to name those steps right now. One, identifying sin. Two, admonish, that is to correct and teach. Three, chastise when it's appropriate. Four, Pray a prayer of repentance. And five, restoration. Discipline should be calm. No yelling. Parents, a holler is only to warn your children of a life-taking danger. If we are going to identify sin, we need to be observant about our children. We should be listening to our children. And we are to see, see the sin ourselves or know of the sin from two or three witnesses. When you admonish and correct your children, 
It should be that they are being corrected because they have sinned against God and perhaps secondarily against you. But if you are categorizing your training and teaching as to this is a sin because you're sinning against God, you're violating God's law, it's not about you. you are, it's not about your rules. It's not about your perspective. And it's certainly, we've talked about this before, you, you can't let your emotions rule what the standards of rules are, right? If you're having, you didn't discipline this on Tuesday and Friday comes and you're in, a, you're in a bad mood and so today it's a rule and it wasn't one on Tuesday, repent of that. Hold them to God's truths each and every day. Listen, if it is willful disobedience, we are to chastise them with measured spanking. Here's something really important. You should have a predetermined SWAT level and intensity, right? Because if, if you are acting in the moment, right, and if you don't have predetermined things going on in your mind about how, what, what the discipline is going to be, you're most likely going to react out of your own anger out of your own impetuous frustration. So predetermine what the discipline is going to look like. By the way, all of this changes over time and should diminish in regularity over time. Proverbs 23.12 tells us this, Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. This is where many today think discipline should center and finish with. That is to say, I should just be able to talk to my children, and they should just be able to understand, and because they're basically good, they're going to get it and go and do it. That's not how this works. Many parents have been deceived in believing if my child has just the right information, in their, in their own goodness, they will choose what is right. Now listen, is that not what we have today? What's the answer for everything that ails our society? We need to spend more money in what? Education. That's a false God. But it's interesting, Proverbs 23.12 continues with this at verse 13. Do not withhold correction from a child. For if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall not beat him with the rod, excuse me, you shall beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from hell. Now to modern ears, this is really rough. But the intent of this is not to beat and abuse your children. This word beating here is to bring training, but it is a physical admonishment. We need to remember that God has always disciplined His children with a specific measured out judgment to bring repentance and restoration. One of the very many, many Examples of this is in Jeremiah 29.10. Here God is, is proclaiming judgment upon the people of Israel, and He's talking about bringing hardship upon them so that they will repent. And it says this in verse 10. For thus says Yahweh, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. And again, I, I can take you to, to numerous passages where God says, I'm going to discipline you. Here it is. Here's the, here's, here's the specific measure. Here's what I'm shooting for, and I promise to bring you to restoration. That is your call as parents. 
Now our modern ears hear these kinds of things, and it bothers us. But we must not spank to damage our children, so you don't spank when you're angry. Have that predetermined SWAT count. It should sting, but not damage your child. And you know, we hear things like that, but we still live in this, in this falsehood. We think that we know better to God, than God does. But Proverbs 13, 24 says this, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Don't let your thoughts, or even if I'm, if I'm speaking the truthfully, your apathy and laziness prevent you from stopping what you're doing to promptly discipline your child with these steps. Our children must understand that sin hurts. It kills you, it kills them, and others around them. We're not to delay in our, in our uh, discipline of our children. Proverbs 19.18 says, Chasten your son while there's hope, and do not set your heart on his destruction. A couple of other brief points here that I want to point out. It's real important. Children, are you listening? I'm serious. I want all children to listen in real, real careful here. Forgetfulness is a sin. In Moses' great sermon in Deuteronomy, he warns Israel nine times not to forget God and all he has done. As Christians, and so our children as well, should take care to learn and remember both God's and their parents' words. Childlike irresponsibility is one thing, but forgetfulness is often just an excuse to get out of trouble and is often tied to slothfulness and laziness. So children, you can't simply say, if your parent has taught you something, you can't simply say, well, I forgot. God doesn't allow us to do that. Your parents should not allow you to use that as well. We are to pray prayers of repentance with our children, and after that, assure them of God's forgiveness. And we do that, when we restore them to full fellowship back to what they were doing after repentance to God and those they've sinned against. There may even be some instances where some type or form of restitution is involved as well. But parents, remember, bring them, you assure them of God's forgiveness when you restore them back fully to that activity, back to the table where you're eating back into playing with their friends or playing the family game or whatever it is that you're doing. I want to strongly encourage you to treat your children as God treats you. He forgives you and He restores you. When you confess your sins, do you expect God to restore you? You do. Treat your children in the same fashion. <clears throat> These prompt disciplines, repentance, and restoration should be modeled by you with your own sins and bestowed with grace upon your children. Treat your children in restoration as if the sin has never happened, for that is how God treats you. A quick note, bribery of your children for good behavior is a sin. Don't say, hey, if you do right, I'm going to give you this. If you stop acting up, we'll go do that. Proverbs 15, 27 says, He who is greedy for gain 
troubles even his own house. But he who hates bribes will live. And, and what, what, what does that have to do with parenting? Well, when you bribe your children, you're greedy for your own house. You're saying, I don't want to put the work in to actually discipline you, so I'm going to try to bribe you into good behavior, not repent of your sins. Right? So it is seizing that something the easy way. But it's trouble in your house. We need to hate these things so that our household may live. So please, no bribery, no placating, or appeasements. All this sounds kind of, okay, we got all this going on, and we live in a church, we, we, we worship in a church where we say, stand on the promises of God. And we can do that. But we need to stand on the promises of God and beware of the sin of presumption. We can believe God's promises to us in His Word concerning our children. We see His promises from Abraham to the apostles. And in Acts chapter 2, we're familiar, right? Peter's preaching in the New Testament, Testament the gospel. And he says, for this promise, you know, like, like um, repent, be baptized, and then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is for you, your children, and all who are far off. But you do not need to live a life where you think, well, we've baptized our children and go to church, so all is fine with God. You truly believe God when you obey His word. Call upon God for His mercy and grace to be given to you and your children. Because if you think your systems and efforts will save your children, you're mistaken. Psalm 127 tells us this, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. If you try to build your own house without following God's word, without being in obedience to it, you build it in vain. This is simply empty and vaporous. And this attempt will bring no desirable outcome. Ask God to build your house. Listen to God's word and obey it. Then God guards and keeps, and all are assured. Give thanks to God, and remember, children are a heritage from the Lord, and happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, please be gracious to us. Send your Spirit upon us that we may truly and faithfully love and obey your word, especially in bringing up our children in the fear and admonition of you. Grant that we may teach our children to hate sin, to forgive each other as you have forgiven us because of the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. By your grace, bestow upon us the fortitude to joyfully lay down our lives for our children. Help us to humbly lead our children according to your word, for we know that their salvation belongs to you. Be gracious to our children and keep them. Please restore our children who have seemingly forsaken you. We ask these things for the sake of your Son, Jesus, who reigns with you and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen.